What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Passing Downs podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, so we're going to be doing our usual weekly episode where we go over the previous week, which is week 11, and then we're going to head into some previews of week 12. And with that being said, let's jump right into it with PD's first few quarterbacks. All right, so... First up, we're going to do a couple games from Josh Allen, uh, his Week 11 game and the Thanksgiving game. So uh, let's look at the Week 11 game first. So uh, this one in Detroit against the Cleveland Browns, who the whole day had no answer for the running game. But this one, we're going to focus on the passing game in particular um, and a couple of Josh Allen runs, of course. Um, We start off with a couple of uh, short passes in the first quarter, but then um there's one pass here that's that's dropped by gabriel davis uh, on a tight window not the easiest catch towards the end of the first quarter but uh 14 yards down the field um inside the numbers outside the hashes in the middle of the field he probably should have made that catch great throw by allen but that's the sign of things to come um after a slow stretch where he took a sack and missed a few passes we get an explosive play for 28 yards where he finds Davis on a tight window throw. There's absolutely perfect dime outside the numbers to the left. And, um, yeah, that's that, that was his biggest play of the day, to be honest. But uh, we get some more quick passes and intermediate passes to close out the first half. Um, and the Bills take the lead. And then we go into the second half where, uh, off a of play action, uh, Allen hits Diggs outside the numbers to the right side of the field on a tight window. It's a great, great pass. Uh, and then we close out the third quarter with some short passes and a bunch of runs from the Bills because, as I said, the Browns couldn't really do anything against the Bills' run game. Um, and then the, the final two passes of the, the quarter, a 17-yard pass through the air to Davis, uh, where it was open, it was a little low, but a good pass nonetheless. And then a perfect throw to Dawson Knox 20 yards down the field. So um, that's how we end the third quarter. And then to for the fourth quarter, fourth quarter uh, a couple of intermediate passes um to digs and then we get a great great throw to digs where he just doesn't come up with the ball uh, 18 yards down the field outside of numbers to the left um it's it's a tight window throw it's on the money but digs doesn't come up with it and then we get an intermediate throw and a sack to end the game so um pretty easy stuff for the bills in this one um yeah not much to say from allen he played excellent against the browns uh we move forward to the Lions game, and this one was a little bit of a different story where uh, Josh Allen did put the ball in harm's way a few times. Um, he had one pa- uh, one play where he dropped the snap but managed to recover it and uh, run it into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, he is lucky that the ball bounced back to him. It could have been a disaster. Um, and then we have the actual interception that Josh Allen threw, which I didn't think was quite too bad, uh, but then we do have another couple of turnover-worthy plays from Josh Allen, uh, where one where he threw to a linebacker. Uh, it was particularly bad because he kind of threw it without looking uh, right into the linebacker's hands, uh, into Alex Rodriguez's hands, uh, tipped, um, and that one was intercepted. Um, and then we also have, like, like what we were talking about uh, the, the other podcast with Allen's, like, explosive playmaking where – He's able to take a game like this one where he has three turnover-worthy plays, but he compensates for it with a bunch of explosive plays. And the biggest example of that one is like 
deep down the seam uh, in the fourth quarter, 30 seconds left, and he finds uh, Stefan Diggs. And, well, Jim Nance says that it's an open throw, but it, it really is not an open throw. That was a tight window that Allen just fired the ball into, and his, his velocity on that throw made it look more open than it actually was because uh, he got it there so quickly before the window closed. So a great throw for, like that from Allen, a number of different touch throws to Davis and Diggs. Um, yeah, he was solid again in this game. And I, at this point, it's it's pretty difficult for Allen to have a bad game, like it is for most elite quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to make an example, especially here with him, because uh, it's, it's, it's a major talking point of how he's been struggling. But uh, as an elite quarterback, it's, it's very difficult to have a truly bad game, uh, especially for him in the absence of like five, six turnover-worthy plays. Um, it's difficult to have a truly bad game for Josh Allen. Yeah, I think these last two games are kind of a prime example of what we've talked about a lot with Allen, where like when we see a game like he has versus the Browns, where he kind of doesn't really have many turnover plays, we're not surprised. But then when he follows that with the game like against the Lions, where he does have a lot of those types of plays, and he still has those crazy explosive plays, but he does put the ball in harm's way. At this point, we're not that surprised because that's kind of what we have to expect out of Allen right now. That's kind of the player he is. And I agree with PD where, like, I think his struggles are overblown. I think the amount of uh, insane production he creates through those explosive plays and his running ability just overshadows kind of the negative plays he creates, and it becomes an overall positive. So, yeah, just another two solid weeks from Allen for sure. Yeah, moving on from him to a quarterback who doesn't really create negative plays at all, and that's Jalen Hurts. Um, this one started a little slow for the team overall, but uh, we move uh, with Jalen Hurts here, and Jalen Hurts started with a couple of short passes in the first quarter, um, and then through a nice one to A.J. Brown where uh, he was open and it was a little low, but a good pass nonetheless, 15 yards down the field. Um, and then we have a nice scramble from Jalen Hurts, or a nice run, rather. Um, and then a couple of short passes, and then a really nice throw uh, to Devontae Smith in a tight window. And it was perfectly thrown uh, along the uh, – or not along the sideline, through the, in the middle of the field to the left. Um, and then he does take a bad sack to close the quarter, but he comes back with a couple of short passes. There's some nice throws. Um, and then a little bit more of the same with the short throws uh, all the way towards the end of – the second quarter it is um and he has a nice run there and some short passes to close out the game or close out the quarter um then we move into the the third quarter where he has a sack fumble but i don't think that sack fumble was his fault um he's kind of hit while throwing and the ball kind of just comes free while he's in his throwing motion and the his offensive lineman kind of loses twice uh, in that play where he loses on the initial rep where Hertz is pressured, and then he loses again while trying to cut him off, and neither of them work, and Hertz is uh, strip-sacked. And then we get a nice throw to Devontae Smith, 15 yards down the field, more intermediate and short passing to close out the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter is when he really took over. So we have a big-time scramble where he kind of went out of the pocket early, I think, but... Uh, on plays like this where you're getting a 24-yard gain on a scramble, I think you, you have to eat the good with the bad. Um, and then we have a really, really nice throw to Quez Watkins to tie the game, uh, or not tie the game, to cut the lead. 
um, 20 yards down the field, and that resulted in a 22-yard touchdown. Um, we get some more nice runs from Hertz and some sh- short passes and scrambles kind of close the game out. So, you know, a little bit of a mixed bag for Hertz, but overall the running that he brought to this game was hugely impactful and the passes that he made were really nice. The only thing that I didn't like from him was that one sack that he took in the first quarter. So um, I think that Hertz is still moving along uh, pretty well, still playing at that Pro Bowl level like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but like we said, like it's it's not really the same level as it was like maybe week two against the Vikings or something like that. Um, there are some some chinks in the armor, per, so to say, um, with the bailing early from pockets like I talked about on that one play. Um, it was more prevalent in this game than it was earlier in the season. And so um, looking still looking for Hertz to improve upon those things, and it's very possible we know the, the development curve that he's had. As you mentioned, like once again there with Hertz just uh, bailing out of the pocket too much or just running around a bit too much in the pocket, I think this has become a growing problem throughout the season. I think this was obviously a problem early in his career, and he definitely corrected something about that in his game a lot early in the season, but he's reverting back to that a little bit. I think we've seen a slight decline in his play as a result of that. And it's it's just been steady. And I hopefully in the coming weeks, I hope to see him reverse that. Cause when he is able to just stand in the pocket or just shuffle around and deliver throws, he's elite as a passer. But when he tries to do a bit too too much sometimes, because he is athletic and is able to get away with it sometimes. But I do want to see him just not abandon the pocket as much as he is. And he's not doing it a whole lot, as PD mentioned, but there's a couple of timely times, or <laughs> he's doing it in t- uh, in times where it doesn't need to be done, and he's got to fix that. But one thing I did like about this game, and I hear this a lot about quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, is or just quarterbacks in general that rely a lot on their uh, incredible rushing game, is how will they deal with uh, close games kind of like this one where you could say they're down and they need to come up with the drive uh, to win the game. And in this game, you saw Jalen Hurts seal the game with a rushing touchdown and end it. And I think it's kind of a lazy take by a lot of old heads and people of that type of area just talking about how the rushing attack just won't work late in games. And I just think I just think that's kind of dumb. And we see it here with Jalen Hurts where in somewhat of an ugly game offensively overall for the Eagles, Jalen Hurts is able to kind of take over the game with his rushing attack and just burn the Colts late in the game when the defense is tired and really seal it with his legs. And we've seen guys like him and Fields and even Lamar throughout his career do it all the time. And I'm not sure why that's even a thing, but I'm glad Hurts proved in this game once again that uh, his game is definitely something that translates to fourth quarters, translates to close games, and translates to winning in general. Yeah, I hope that becomes the sentiment uh, as the season progresses. Um, yeah, 100%. Speaking of bailing from pockets, uh, a quarterback who hasn't had many clean pockets this year, Matthew Stafford. So uh, I just wanted to touch on this one because he suffered another injury and I know this has been a, a theme with Stafford throughout his career where he's been injured, playing through a lot of injuries, missing time. 
but this one seemed uh, most prevalent to me because um, we've kind of heard of the struggles of the offensive line overall, but um, this one kind of came in like a really, really great performance from Stafford. So we start off the game with just some short passes to get him kind of in rhythm, but then he launched like one of the best throws of the season, probably where he kind of has a play action and then he rolls out to his right and throws back across the field to towards the sideline to Tutu Atwell, uh, who has a step, but it's not exactly wide open. And he hits him in stride for an excellent touchdown. Um, after that, it's just uh, kind of a mixture of short and intermediate throws. Nothing absolutely special, but that throw that he made to Tutu Atwell was just so impactful and so good. Um, and it just kind of it kind of harkens back to last season when Stafford was playing like a top 10 quarterback and, you know, really on fire. Um, but now that situation has gone and he's not, he's not healthy anymore. And so I think it's a good reflection of how quickly that quarterback situations can change and how much situation matters for a player who's like, not like an MVP level player. I think we can agree on that. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of just kind of something I wanted to touch on and like an example of what's happening this year. Yeah, and I'm, I've mentioned multiple in times in the pockets my dislike for Stafford and the fact that I believe he's a Cooper Cup merchant, but definitely don't want to see him go down the way he is. And hopefully he makes a speedy recovery. As PD mentioned, he's like, he's dealt with injuries throughout his career and injuries at this point in your career, especially with him having a bummy elbow already, just kind of speeds up the process to irrelevancy and I'm hoping that doesn't happen to Stafford and I'm hoping that just happens well naturally through his play or maybe he proves me wrong but either ways I'd like to see him healthy uh but moving on to probably one of the one of the better games of this week maybe at at least at the start of the game between the Bengals and the Steelers which went back and forth for a while and Talking about Joe Burrow, who, despite missing Jamar and losing Mixon to concussion during this game, the Bengals still put up 37 points and looked incredible offensively. And Burrow was a huge part of why, of course, going 24 for 39 with 355 yards, four touchdowns with two interceptions that are incredibly deceiving if you just look at the box score. And I'll get into why when we get to that point in the game. But... Going into the first drive, it was a very pedestrian drive for Burrow. He does have one completion to Hurst for a massive gain off Yak. But uh, Bengals, the Bengals only really get a field goal out of this drive because Burrow and his receivers seem to have a couple of miscommunications that end the drive in Steelers' territory. He doesn't get the ball again till late in the first where he connects with Mixon a couple of times for big gains but doesn't really have the opportunity to do much because uh, P. Ryan takes a screen pass for a touchdown from pretty far away from the end zone. Overall, it was a slow first quarter, uh, you could say, but he's doing his job and scoring points, and you can't really ask for much more. Uh, He follows that with another drive in the middle of the second quarter, where he starts off hot, finding Higgins on a crossing route on a third and four. Uh, the defensive backs is draped right behind Higgins, but Burrow still puts it right on the money for an easy catch and gives him the opportunity to run forward for a couple more. 
uh, after a couple more good completions to Higgins where he showed very good anticipation because both were comeback routes where he releases the ball even before Higgins is turned and gets it to him right on the money. Uh, he caps the drive by checking down to P. Ryan, who makes a great play by breaking a tackle and just running it in from 10 yards away for a touchdown. He gets the ball back with like a couple minutes left in the half, and he starts with an incredible throw in traffic to Higgins where he just fires it in between three uh, defenders all around Higgins, and the ball was just on the money, perfect completion. Uh, he follows that with another great throw to Higgins on an out route that got him out of bounds, and at this point, uh, with few minutes left in the quarter, they needed to get out of bounds. Uh, he lofted it right between two uh, defensive backs, but he did leave the ball a little bit too high for my liking. And the reason that's a bad thing is because Higgins does get hit and shaken up, goes out for a little bit. If he doesn't leave it so high that maybe Higgins doesn't take as big of a hit, but still a very good throw nonetheless. Uh, here, however, this is where his first pick of the game happens. And like I said earlier, it wasn't really his fault at all. His offensive line just seems to shift completely the wrong way. They go left, and there's a free rusher coming right at him from the right side. And that guy tips the pass. Uh, the pass was going to an open receiver, but because it was tipped, it ends up landing in the Steelers' hands, and just really not much Burrow can do there. Uh, that does conclude his first half, and early in the second half, the first drive does not go too far. Burrow does show us a bit of poor pocket awareness because he has interior pressure coming at him and is good on the outsides. His tackles show good blocking here, and he could shuffle outside or maybe abandon the pocket, but he doesn't really move his feet and gets sacked, takes a pretty bad sack in my opinion, which kills the drive. Uh, he gets the ball back again in the middle of the third quarter where he starts with a great throw to T. Higgins where T. has his man beat on a streak and he puts it right in the bread basket where T does have a step on him, but not too much space, and he puts it right on the money for a 40-yard gain. He could have uh, let it a little bit more upfield because Higgins did have enough space to score a touchdown, but it was a good throw nonetheless. He caps the drive with a two-yard leverage throw to his tight end in the end zone. The defender was behind a one of his bigger targets, and he kind of just lets him box out the defender and stag the touchdown. Uh, in the middle of the third quarter, we see Burrow's second interception, and once again, it was very unlucky because TJ Watt probably has one of the best defensive lineman picks I've ever seen in my life on this play because Burrow just throws the ball, and Watt literally just plucks it out of the air like it's nothing at the line of scrimmage. It was just an incredible show of reflexes. And he somehow holds on to the ball. Because typically when you see a play like this. The lineman just tips it into the air. But here Watt quite literally just snags the ball from the air. And brings it down. Uh, Pittsburgh scores off of that interception. And Burrow quickly gets the ball back. And in Pittsburgh territory. I feel like he does take another bad sack where he tries to run up in the pocket, but Cam Hayward was right there, and you're really not getting away from Cam Hayward. Uh, with about 9.33 left in the fourth, with his offense pushed deep into their own territory, uh, Burrow does find Boyd downfield for like 
30 yards. Uh, the defender was right behind, was literally side to side with Boyd, but he still puts the ball high and away in a spot where really only Boyd could go up and get it, and he does do that. And this is just another example of what Burrow was doing pretty much all game here. Uh, he was doing an incredible job of just getting his receivers the ball despite them not really creating much space. He was giving it to them in good re- leverage situations, putting the ball in the right spot and just delivering it with great accuracy. So even though his receivers weren't really getting away from DBs, that offense was still being was still moving because of Burrow. And after a couple more completions to Irwin and Boyd on a couple of open out routes, he checks it down to P. Ryan again for another easy score. And this was their last score of the game and puts it away. Overall, this game, uh, you don't really see anything flashy or maybe a typical highlight play from Burrow, but he was still absolutely incredible in my opinion. He was super accurate, probably one of his most accurate games of the year in my opinion. He had great ball placement on most of his throws, and for that reason, he made uh, this offense work with lesser talent, guys like Irwin playing huge min or playing a lot of uh, time at receiver who he didn't really play with and with worse skill positions for this team he still managed to uh have a good day offensively and he's definitely beating those Jamar Chase merchant allegations that were coming up earlier in uh Chase's time injured yeah I'm in full agreement with you about Burrow I think you can make an honest case that since like probably the Falcons game, I would say, maybe even maybe even including the Saints game, that he's been maybe the MVP. Like he has been absolutely mm-hmm. sensational. Like pretty much, I would say every week in the Falcons game, he was amazing. Saints game, he was amazing. Uh, Browns game, it wasn't so good, but I don't think it was bad. I think the situation was just awful, and it led to a bunch of bad plays. Um, and then. Panthers game, of course, they rolled. And then the Steelers game, this game, he was really, really nice. So what is that? Like uh, like everything ex- excluding the Ravens game in the last seven games has been yeah. really, really strong for Burrow. And so, He's been on an incredible tear. And I believe yeah. in our Super Bowl episode, we had him just on the cusp of pro bowlers. And I <laughs> think at this point, we can definitively say – He's clearly moved up in those. Yeah, 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 he's he's deep into the Pro Bowl territory at this pace. He might jump into the MVP category. He is just playing like yeah. on fire right now. Um, speaking of a player who's playing on fire right now, so two games for Dak Prescott. Um, we're gonna start with the Week Eleven ones. So, in Week Eleven, Dak Prescott started off the first quarter with um, a few short throws, and it, it wasn't really anything to write home about. But we have a nice QB sneak. Uh, or not a QB sneak, uh, a scramble for a yard. And then we get a couple of nice throws in the intermediate range, and then another scramble for 11 yards. Um, and then a little bit of a slow patch where we get a couple of short completions and an incompletion. Um, and then we have an intermediate throw and a bunch of short throws. And then to close out the half, uh, Dak Prescott throws a really, really nice pass outside the numbers to the right to CeeDee Lamb, uh, deep down the field in a tight window. And that leads to a touchdown. Um, and then we get to, or not a touchdown, uh, that, that leads to a long field goal. Um, and then we get into the second half, and this is where Dak really starts to take over. So a short pass that goes for 10 yards, and then a short completion 
which actually loses yards to Tony Pollard. But then we have like probably the highlight of the day where Tony Pollard is lined up one-on-one on the outside and the Vikings are playing like uh, a tricky cover two trap kind of coverage uh, to trick Dak. And it's, it's gotten other quarterbacks in the weeks past, but Dak is not fooled. He finds the 1v1 on the outside to Tony Pollard, sees it pretty much immediately and throws it early and it's on the money, 68-yard touchdown to, to Tony Pollard. Uh, we have another pass to this time to Noah Brown where um, he's he's pretty open, uh, I would say, but uh, and Dak is, throws it behind him, but completes the pass nonetheless deep down the field, very impactful play. Um, and then we have a couple of short completions to close it out. So Dak didn't have to do much against the Vikings because, I mean, they were just dominating in every facet uh, of the – of like every single way that they possibly could. Um, but in the limited snaps that he did have, he had zero negative plays, uh, according to my tracking, and he had a couple of really, really nice throws where um, th- those are kind of the throws that sealed the deal for, for the Cowboys' win. So a 40-3 victory, I mean, the quarterback obviously has to play well, and, and that's what he did in this game. Um, and then coupling that with the Thanksgiving game where – uh, against the Giants, Dak had a number of really nice throws. He did have that interception that he threw along the sideline where he didn't know that it was not offsides, and he kind of thought he had a free play. So that was kind of a mental error on his part and uh, threw the pick. Uh, but the other pick that he had, kind of a contested ball to C.D. Lamb, where um, I think it could have been easily called for pass interference, so I, I'm not going to blame that for, on him. But other than that, I mean, intermediate area of the field, Short area of the field, deep down the field, it was just Schultz, Lamb, um, I mean Lamb in particular, but Gallup as well, like just incredibly accurate throws, uh, great rhythm from Dak Prescott. And uh, the biggest thing I think to, to mention for how he played was the fact that he took zero sacks despite being pressured on like, I would say half of uh, half of his snaps. Um, so taking a bunch of hits, but... That all leading to no sacks is, is just really impressive stuff. Um, probably not good for his long-term health, and we, we've expressed concerns about his health uh, in the past. But, you know, in a one-game in a one game sample like this, um, it just leads to high-level play, and that's what we saw from Dak. So a two-week stretch of playing really, really high-level football. He's working himself back into, like, playing at a Pro Bowl level, but obviously he's not going to make that kind of tier because of the health this year. Um, so yeah, impressed with what I see from Dak Prescott. Hopefully he can keep it up. Yeah, you mentioned his health after a lot of like after a rough start to the season in that first game and a lot of time missed due to that injury. He's come back and after a few games of getting reacclimated, he's been pretty much lights out for the better part of a month now. And he's making that Cowboys team look very scary because as you mentioned with that defense. That Cowboys defense had their way completely with the Vikings offense, who's looked really good pretty much every other week of the year. But uh, Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and that D-line as a whole, especially Michael Parsons, just dominated that Vikings O-line. Uh, while watching that game, I felt like there was a, a sack pretty much every other play on Kirk Cousins. He was He was dying out there. And one of the plays you mentioned in the Vikings game with that Tony Pollard touchdown, the 68-yard touchdown, uh, that was especially impressive to me. Because as you mentioned, uh, that cover two trap defense that the Vikings ran on that play, 
it's fooled quite a few uh, quarterbacks this year, including some of the best in the league. And one of the things Prescott did on that play with that uh, particularly impressed me was uh, the play call wasn't orig- was originally something else, but uh, I think Prescott motions somebody and kind of checks the safety and figures out what coverage it is. And then you see him say, kill, 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 change the play up. And then you have, I believe it was CD lamb running like a stick and rod on the left side. And then he had his tight end kind of running upfield on the right side. And that leaves Pollard in that one-on-one situation, which I don't know if he completely planned that out, but because of the play he switched into, that leaves Pollard wide open because it's just him on a wheel route against the linebacker and Pollard being one of the fastest running backs in the league. No linebackers keeping up with him. So I was super impressed by that IQ of Dak to switch up the play to pretty much a beater for that play and just recognizing the coverage in general. Uh, I'd hope that was completely intentional by him because if it was, it was super impressive. And going to another quarterback who was super impressive and playing in probably one another one of the best games of the day. I'd say probably the best game of that this week 11 for sure in the Chiefs and Chargers. And in this one, Mahomes puts up another monster monster statistical game in a season where he's had Full full of these types of games. And in this one, he was 20 for 34, passed for 329 yards and three touchdowns. And uh, going into the game, after getting into Chargers territory off a big Pacheco run, uh, Mahomes finds Moore on a comeback route for a first down on a third and seven where Moore was draped completely by coverage. And then he follows that on a third and four. He finds Kelsey. But Kelsey is just pushed over by Derwin James, and Derwin just gets away with the complete pass interference. But Mahomes does find the open guy here. The Chargers get away with one, and that leads to a field goal. Uh, Right after, Mahomes responds to Herbert's incredible touchdown throw at this point in the game, which I'll get into when I talk about Herbert. But he responds to that by fighting Kelsey open across the middle and delivers it with perfect placement because it allows for Kelsey to turn up field and get another like 30 uh, after the catch later in that drive on a third and six he finds an open Mikko Hardman in a situation where Mikko definitely would have caught the ball but while turning around on the comeback Mikko kind of just falls over and the ball hits the dirt uh, leads to another field goal but another second drive in a row where Mahomes makes the right decision and for one reason or another, it just doesn't go his way. Uh, he gets the ball again late in the first quarter where he finds Kelsey again on an out route on third and eight and puts it right in the on the money for Kelsey to catch it in stride, turn up field again, despite the linebacker being right behind him and arms length away, he could have tackled him. But since Mahomes puts it in the right spot for him to just turn up field in stride. He's able to pick up another 25 more down the sideline because the Chargers were in man coverage here and Kelsey really had one person to beat. Uh, then Mahomes follows that with probably one of his most accurate throws of the year, in my opinion, where he has his other tight end streaking downfield with pretty much no space at all because it's a tight end against a cornerback who's got much more speed. But Mahomes still drops the ball right in the breadbasket, 
right where uh his tight end could just stretch his arms out and get the ball and fall his uh receiver falls over around the five yard line and he doesn't break stride at all to catch this ball this ball was just completely on the money and despite tight coverage where the cornerback really couldn't have done a whole lot more to defend that but Mahomes just puts it in such a perfect spot that it it just looked easy and that drive ends off a Kelsey tight end screen where he just runs the ball in for a touchdown uh Mahomes follows that early in the second where he finds an open Kelsey on a third and three for a first down but for whatever reason, Kelsey just doesn't turn around and just lets the ball kind of hit him in his chest. Uh, this was another situation where it was the right play by Mahomes, and that won't go on the stat sheet, but it leads to a quick three and out. Uh, that He follows that with another three and out because on a third and five, uh, Mahomes has a slightly open Kelsey on an out route, and he just completely misses him. Uh, this is another three and out where it was actually Mahomes' fault rather than Kelsey's. His next relevant drive comes late in the third quarter. We're on a third and 17 where the Chiefs are backed up deep in Chargers territory. Mahomes is literally in the end zone. He finds 84 open for a first and more and gets them out of a super sticky spot. And this was uh, particularly impressive to me, not only because of the situation, but because that receiver definitely was not one of his first progressions, but Despite being in a sticky situation, he goes through all of his pr- progressions, sticks in the pocket, and then when his first few reads were there, he still finds uh, 84 on a d- deep dig and gets the first round with the pickup of about 20. He follows that with another incredibly accurate completion to Sky Moore, where Derwin James was right on it, but he leads the ball upfield enough to where the ball goes right by Darren's outstretched hands and only Skymore can get the ball. Uh, and he finishes that drive where he finds Kelsey underneath on a third and four. Uh, and Kelsey just makes an incredible play where uh, he just bobs and weaves past defenders for about 25 yards and runs in for a touchdown. Uh, Kelsey had an incredible game this one, and this was just another example of it. Early in the fourth quarter, Mahomes starts it with pretty much a classic Mahomes play where he moves up in the pocket, runs away from a couple of rushers, and as he's running right, he throws it across his body down the middle of the field to a diving Sky Moore in between two defenders. This is just another incredible and incredibly difficult throw, which Mahomes looks makes look super easy, just standard for him at this point. And later in this drive, he is sold by Jarek McKinnon in Chargers territory because Jarek just fumbles in a crucial situation. He gets the ball back for his last drive of the day, down four with only a minute and a half left. And honestly, at this point, we kind of know how this goes with Mahomes. With a minute and a half, that's just too much time for him. He starts finding a wide-open MVS for about 20 and he follows that with another uh, completion to Sky Moore for 15 with the defender draped all over Sky right behind him. Uh, he then takes off down the middle of the field for another 20. And with 37 seconds to go, he finds an open Kelsey underneath. And Kelsey turns up field, runs 15 yard for a touchdown. And yeah, that ends the game for them. And just another example of Mahomes having a game-winning drive. And... 
Any thoughts on Mahomes before I move on to Herbert, PD? Yeah, I mean, I have more thoughts on Kelsey than Mahomes because, I mean, we're, we're kind of – we might be seeing the greatest player of all time at his position, you know. Like, he was just insanely good in this game. And not to take away from Mahomes. Mahomes was, Mahomes was great, uh, adding to his MVP case again. But, I mean, Kelsey just – Kelsey just should not move the way he does for his size. It's just like he has such good change of direction, speed, acceleration, like everything that you want in terms of route running and after the catch from a tight end. He does all of that and more. And then on top of that, he just kind of has like a telepathic connection with Patrick Mahomes. It's really like it's really pretty special to to watch Kelsey play. Um, We're pretty lucky to be watching him, I think. Yeah, the chemistry, as you mentioned, between Mahomes and Kelsey, I don't think that's something I've ever seen. I know a lot of people mention Brady and Gronk, but I think a lot of that just came from Brady being such a great quarterback and Gronk just being massive. But I think in terms of chemistry and just being able to find each other no matter what the situation is, and at this point, defenses know that it's going to be Mahomes and Kelsey. Like, there's no mystery there. Those two are going to be the guys leading that Chiefs offense. And it just still can't be stopped. As you said, at his size, there's no reason for Kelsey to be moving as fast, changing directions, breaking tackles as he is. And he just keeps on doing it without fail. And a lot of these plays that I mentioned in that game for Mahomes, he got a lot of yards and touchdowns just because he dumped it off to Kelsey. And Kelsey turns up field breaks a ton of tackles and runs in for a touchdown. And when you have a guy like Kelsey, hundred percent makes your job easier. As you said, as PD said, I'm not trying to take away from Mahomes here, but the Kelsey definitely makes his job a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. The only thing that like compares to it in, in a modern context is probably like Rogers and Adams, I would say is like that kind yeah. of mind melding chemistry. Uh, that's the only one that compares. Yeah, I hope these two don't split up for pretty much the rest of Kelsey's career, if possible. Uh, But moving on to Mahomes' opponent in this game, or at least at quarterback, who also was no slouch at all. He also put up a very good statistical performance, going 23 for 30, 280 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick towards the end of the game. And once again, I saw a lot of people slandering Herbert as always, everyone does it, for losing this game, you know, being someone that uh, can't win big games. But if you watch this game, as we obviously did, I think there's no way you can put the full blame on him, if any blame at all. And getting into this game, he starts off hot with probably one of the best throws I've seen all season, maybe one of the best throws of his career for sure. Uh, From around the 50-yard line, he rolls right, and he throws it slightly across his body, across the field, and this is just absolutely on the money, 45 yards downfield, across the length of the football field, to Josh Palmer, who falls in for a touchdown, and that ball seemed to be in the air forever, and just loops all the way across half the field, and lands exactly where it it needs to be. And he makes absolutely insane throws like this where you need incredible accuracy and incredible arm talent. And he just makes them look so routine and easy. I feel like Herbert's Herbert's just got a throwing motion where he can just 
launch the ball downfield would it make it just and it looks completely effortless. I don't know how he does it, but it's just one of the best things to see. Uh, he follows that in the middle of the first quarter with this next drive where he finds Mike Williams on a back shoulder fade and he puts it on the money, but Mike Williams also makes a great play to just catch the ball and stay in bounds. And on a third and five in Chiefs, Chiefs territory, he does have an open Keenan Allen on an out route and kind of just throws it too far wide. And that drive leads to a field goal. And even though we did see a throw like that just early in the first quarter, I do think he needs to make these throws like this open out route to Keenan Allen for a first, because if he wants to continue to ascend into that elite, elite tier, which at this point we've kind of just established as Mahomes and Allen. And as far as this season goes, Gino as well. uh, If he wants to continue to ascend into that tier, I feel like he's got to make those types of throws because though he doesn't have the help, he kind of needs to be perfect in order to win games. And, uh, this is one of those plays where he just has to be perfect. Uh, the next dre- relevant drive he has off of play action, he finds uh, DeAndre Carter 20 yards downfield on a crossing route, where once again he just puts it on the money. And that drive is capped by a bunch of good runs by not only him, by a couple of their running backs, and uh, finished off by Eckler running in for a touchdown. Uh, his next drive late in the second quarter uh, he fires a dart to Josh Palmer off his back foot in between three defenders for a 20-yard gain. This ball had incredible velocity and was still accurate despite being off his back foot. And just another throw where not a, I can't say a lot of guys in the NFL are making that one. Uh, he follows that where he almost makes the play of the year in the red zone where he was literally getting dragged down and sacked by a defender, but he still manages to just toss it downfield 10 yards into the end zone and gives Keenan Allen a chance to catch the ball at the back of the end zone. And Keenan just simply drops it. And this is one of those situations where everyone's talking about Herbert needs help. This is one of those times where Keenan Allen has to help him out there because an incredible play like that, which Herbert makes, just can't go uh, without any results, so to say and that leads to a field goal at the end of the half. Uh, early in the third, uh, his next drive is killed absolutely by his offensive line, who choose to pretty much not block at all and get Herbert sacked. Just another example of Herbert not really getting the help he needs in these type of situations. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, once again, another another example of Herbert not getting the help he needs. Herbert was leading a great drive off a couple of completions to Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen fumbles on pretty much one of their most crucial drives of the game because they're down three in Chiefs territory and off a wide receiver screen Keenan just fumbles and it's times like this as I said it's evident Herbert needs more help because when his receivers are fumbling there's just nothing he can do. And Mahomes experiences a similar situation where Jarrett McKinnon fumbles. And off of that, uh, once again, the Chargers O-line decide not to pick up pressure correctly and allow Willie Gay to just have a free shot at uh, Herbert and they get a sack. And it makes a third and 18. And honestly, this should have killed the uh, killed the drive. But Herbert absolutely bails 
everyone on the team out with probably one of his most impressive throws once again, where he launches the ball literally 50 yards downfield and hits Keenan Allen right on the money down the sideline, who has just one step over his defensive back, and he just drops it right on the breadbasket for him. Another massive game and just super, super clutch given the situation they were in. Uh, He caps this drive by finding Josh Palmer in the end zone with the throw off his back foot while under pressure by two defensive linemen. And he just makes another pretty difficult throw there, just look routine. And he scores a touchdown here with less than two minutes left, a super clutch drive that gave them the lead. And in a lot of cases, this should be enough to win. But unfortunately, because his team sucks, it just wasn't. He does have another chance to drive downfield with about 30 seconds left. And he does make probably his worst play of the day where he's rolling left and kind of just forces a pass to Keenan Allen in double coverage to make something happen. And this ends up getting picked. Uh, Me personally, I'm not holding this one too much on Herbert. He did have a chance, I guess, to come down and score a touchdown with 30 seconds left. But I think this is just a case of him trying to make something out of nothing. I think at the point of the interception, there's only 15 seconds left. So, uh, yeah, that is what it is. But other than that, pretty much a mostly flawless game from Herbert, in my opinion. He doesn't really put the ball in harm's way. He makes a lot of just high, high level throws and uh, to no avail because once again, he loses. Yeah, I have a couple takeaways from this game. So I think that the one that you're talking about to Allen, like late in the game down the right sideline, I think that was that one for me is a little bit more of a receiver play than anything. Um, hmm. When Herbert goes to throw it, Allen is like not open. He he is he does not have a step at all. But basically, what he does um, on that play is he fakes like this is after the ball is thrown. He fakes like he's going outside to go catch the ball, and then steps back inside um, and tracks the ball beautifully and. I guess props to Herbert from uh, for throwing that up uh, because that is what he needed to do in that situation. But um, I give a lot more credit to to Allen in that situation because it kind of turns into kind of like a jump ball situation for him because that's that that's not open and it's not like he's throwing him open really. It's like Allen Allen getting open at the last second to kind of I don't want to say bail it out but uh, make the play for him. Um, but I, I do think that um, one thing that I did learn kind of is Herbert might be realizing like, okay, when I put my foot on the gas pedal, there's, there's really nothing that can stop me. And that's, that's really like, that's the only part of his game that, that needs work. Um, but I do think it's, it's a major part of this game. So we look early in the game, the Chargers jumped out to a, a solid, a big lead. And it's because they were pushing the ball down the field and successful pushing it past the sticks. But then uh, we see Mike Williams get hurt. Keenan Allen kind of go out in and out of the lineup. And that's when the Chiefs started making their comeback because Herbert kind of got passive. Um, and the Chargers offense in general also got passive, running the ball a little bit too much, in my opinion. And then in the fourth quarter, when things like like they needed Herbert to step on the gas, he does. He gets punished for it at the very end, but at least he gave them a fighting chance. So uh, I think mm-hmm. if Herbert can capture that mentality, uh, he'd be a lot better for it moving forward. But I, I don't think that like that's very easy to do and it's something that's bothered him for like what this is one and a half seasons now where I've been asking for him to push the ball past the sticks uh, in tight windows more. So. Yeah, I do think we are seeing it 
a little bit more from Herbert and hopefully it continues to grow. Cause as you said, like when he gets into that mode, he is virtually unstoppable. And I do want to touch on that Keenan throw again. Yeah, I do think it was a great play by Keenan, but I was also just really impressed by Herbert's ability to launch that ball like 55 yards downfield on the money. I think that's something that not most quarterbacks can do alone. And not only that, like, yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was really a 50-50 ball, like you said, because Keenan does end up getting a step on his defender and Herbert still delivers it to the right spot. I guess at the time of the throw, he wasn't necessarily open, but given the situation, it was third and 18. He did kind of just have to make something out of nothing. And I think it was just another one of those both teammates kind of had the chemistry to know what they were doing and just in a situation where they were kind of backed against the wall, both of them made a great play. I'm not taking away from Herbert or really Keenan Allen in that scenario either, but hopefully I mean, Herbert can continue to develop in this way because I think because Herbert had so much success so early in his career, people are expecting just a lot out of him. And are forgetting that just the, pe- the help around him just isn't conducive for the type of success they want out of him. And since he's so young, he does still have time to learn how to play the way we're talking about. He clearly has the tools and hopefully he can learn soon. And maybe he won't be like the elite elite tier until he figures it out. But I do think at some point in his career, particularly his prime, he will And I think once he does, he has a lot of good years ahead of him. And, well, moving on from that fantastic game to probably one of the worst games of the week as an average NFL NFL fan and my favorite game of the week as a Niners fan because the Niners absolutely obliterated the Cardinals in every way. And, yes, they were missing Kyler Murray, but it still felt really, really good to see as a Niners fan. And speaking of this game, I'll get into Jimmy G, who uh, Jimmy G has all the weapons in the world, but this man has absolutely been playing the best football of his life right now. And this is coming from a Jimmy G hater who for years at at this point, two years now wanted him gone. But this this year and this game, once again, he proved himself and I'm not going to take anything away from that. The offense put up 38 points, and he himself went 20 for 20, uh, 29 with 228 yards and four touchdowns. And even though he's put in a great uh, position to succeed right now, he's fully taking advantage. And uh, here's why. Because after a slow start as an offense in the first, uh, his first relevant drive comes late in the first quarter where we see two gla- classic Jimmy G plays back-to-back where he makes quick throws off single cut, a single cutting in breaking routes to both Debo and Kittle who pick up a first each. And after a huge run from McCaffrey that puts the team in deep in Cardinals territory, Jimmy G makes a great play where he just stands firm in the pocket. And despite being a ton of pressure, he looks at his first read, his second read, his third read, and none of them were there. Then, on the back side of the field, on the other side of the play, he finds Brandon Ayuk with just a sliver of space, and he fires it on the money to him for a touchdown. And this is the part of Jimmy's game that honestly has improved the most and impressed me the most, 
Because in previous years, I think in that situation, he would have just been flustered around pressure and kind of just floundered around, taking a bad sack. But when his first few reads weren't there on display, he didn't give up on the play like he would in previous years. He stuck in the pocket. He really showed he can still make a football play when the original design doesn't go their way. And it shows a bunch more times in this game. Because... And it shows in the very next drive, because after interception, the Niners get the ball in the middle of the second quarter, right over the 50. And he does it once again in an even better fashion, where the Arizona defensive linemen kind of get upfield and kind of allow Jimmy just to run forward up to the line of scrimmage. And he moves forward, and while running, he still keeps his eyes downfield, he looks off a couple of safeties, and as a result, they leave George Kittle wide open downfield, and he just puts it on the money, finding George Kittle deep downfield, and he puts it in a place where George Kittle can catch it, turn around on the run, and uh, beat a defender and run it for a touchdown. I think in previous years, we were really underutilizing Kittle because he does have this ability to just destroy defenders in the open field and make plays, kind of like we were talking about Kelsey but Jimmy was just not putting him and giving him situations where he could get yards after catch or yards after contact. And in this play, we in this game, we saw it in this one perfectly where Jimmy's able to get the ball to Kittle open and give it to him in stride where he can still make a play after the catch. And it's great to see. Uh, late in the second quarter, CMC takes a screen and another check down for big yards and gets the Niners into card the Cardinal side of the field. And Jimmy G makes another one of his best throws, which won't show up in the highlight tape because he has Jennings covered one-on-one all the way downfield. And he still places the ball uh, in a perfect spot where Juan Jennings could have caught it for a touchdown, but Jennings just lets it slip through his hand. But even though the DB was running literally side by side by Jennings, he still puts it along the sideline to where only his receiver could get it. But unfortunately, it doesn't uh, lead to a touchdown, but a great throw nonetheless. Uh, On Jimmy's next relevant drive, he gets the ball in Cardinals territory late in the third quarter. And after a couple of good uh, Elijah Mitchell runs, Jimmy G finds McCaffrey on a quick slant uh, for one first. And then on the very following play, He finds Ayuk once again on a quick slant who breaks a tackle and gets in the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, Early in the fourth quarter, we probably see one of the worst defensive showings of effort I've ever seen in my life, where the ball is checked down to Kittle off a bootleg pass, or off a bootleg, it's checked down to Kittle, and he's just left untouched down the sideline for like 35 yards, and he just kind of waltzes in for a touchdown. And there are like three Cardinals defenders in front of him in the area who could have tried to stop him. And honestly, I was pretty sure he was going to get tackled. But they just don't even attempt to get in front of him. And I'm honestly not sure what the defense was trying there, but they just let George Kittle run in for a touchdown. And this play is honestly pretty common for the Niners. I've, As a Niners fan, I've seen for years, this is their bread and butter, a little bootleg pass to the tight end. And I've never seen it do be this successful. So it was honestly somewhat disappointing as even a Niners fan to see that poor of an effort from the Cardinals. 
And at this point of the game, the game got out of hand and Jimmy G gets benched. But overall, uh, Jimmy G this season has been an incredible engine of a great offense. Uh, I will say it's he still has problems trying to throw the ball downfield. He still has a lot of lapses in pocket management and his accuracy is still very shaky. But I think we've put such a great offense around him that all of his, I guess, downsides or problems have been minimized to the point where he just looks borderline elite right now or just really, really good. And I know I was, as pretty much most people were, pretty critical of the Christian McCaffrey trade. But I think that trade has gotten so many weapons on this offense that we're able to be successful offensively in an elite offense despite having an average or possibly next year a below average uh, offense. And I think because we've been unable to find a quarterback to run this offense, they just decided to stack the skill positions. And somehow, some way, it's worked, and Jimmy G is reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, um, Christian McCaffrey trade. Uh, in the absence of like a home run draft, the effects will be felt next year, not this year. This year, um, yeah, the, this year it'll be fine. But next year is yeah. concerns. Uh, shout out to Brock Purdy too. Uh, the wrong side handoff was pr- pretty entertaining. <laughs> it was so hilarious. Uh, but at yeah. that point in the game, we just didn't care. But <laughs> yeah, hilarious. All right, that'll wrap up our reviews from Week 11 and some Thanksgiving, and let's get started on the previews uh, with Potty and previewing Justin Fields. Yeah, so Justin Fields going up against the New York Jets. Last week, he had a close loss to Atlanta, who uh, we didn't get to cover it in this one, but once again, he looked very similar to the previous weeks where the Bears have kind of adapted their offense around him and just kind of made his rushing prowess the focus of the offense. And in this one, I I, I am a little interested to see how he's going to play because, in my opinion, the New York Jets do have probably the best uh, defensive back duo, young defensive back duo as well, but probably one of the best two corners in the league, maybe. Uh, definitely top three. And the Bears famously don't have the best receivers or – honestly, skill positions in general right now. So I'm interested to see how Fields is going to deal with probably not having a whole lot of separation uh, from his guys like Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool. And I want to see if he can uh, deal with that because there's still a lot of questions on him as a passer. And if he's able to still be successful in this one where uh, he just won't have a whole lot of space, uh that's very positive on fields for sure. And the Jets throughout this year have had a very good front seven as well. And I think that's going to challenge Justin Fields because this is a very young, quick, athletic defense. And I think he's burned a lot of the other worst defenses in weeks prior with his rushing ability, especially that Lions team. And I don't think he can quite do that against this Jets team. So I think with the uh, he will be limited as a rusher as well as limited as a passer just from how good that New York Jets team is and just the team around him. So I'm interested to see how uh, he deals with this diverse, uh, adversity. The Bears offense has been pretty high scoring and pretty uh, prolific these last few weeks. And I don't think they will be at all this week. So 
I do expect a bit of a down game from Fields, but I'm hoping in a close one. I expect this will be to be a close one because the Jets' offense kind of we don't know what to expect because they just benched Zach Wilson, which will honestly probably be a good thing, but still probably not going to be the highest scoring game. And I'm interested to see if Justin Fields can pull out a tough one. Yeah, I totally agree there. Um, yeah, it'll be impressive if he can pull this off. I, I don't have many expectations for this one. Yeah, but we've said that a couple of times with Fields now, and he's come out and absolutely destroyed our expectations a few times. So yeah. uh, let's see if he can do it again. Mm-hmm. And moving on from him to probably uh, another quarterback with a very similar style of play in Lamar Jackson, who last week beat up on a bad Carolina team. That offense still wasn't a whole lot impressive, putting up 13 points, and a big reason was Lamar didn't exactly torch a bad defense. And we've talked about this a bit with Lamar, where he started off hot, and he's kind of been a little bit up and down ever since. And a huge part of that is the lack of help around him, but... uh. At this point, that kind of is what it is. We know what to expect out of him. And this week, he's going to be at Jacksonville. And Jacksonville, throughout this year, has been a pretty poor defense. They did have some promise for a little bit, being a very good young defense. But overall, they still are not there yet. And with Lamar being as much of an offensive weapon as he is, and I think he's going to get a fully healthy uh, Mark Andrews back this week. I do expect Lamar to absolutely torch this defense and hopefully get back to the elite Lamar we've seen at many points this season. I think there's no reason for him us to not see that version of Lamar against the against Jacksonville this week. Yeah, not a good, not a great defense that he's going up against, but. Um... Maybe some shootout potential in this one. Hopefully Trevor Lawrence shows up with it with his A game. Um, that would be fun for sure. Yeah, speaking of A game, uh, let's talk about a B quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. Um, and this is going to be his last start, so I just wanted to touch on uh, what he's done this season. So, I mean, we didn't cover Brissett in, in the Pro Bowl episode, and, and for good reason. Um, his impact metrics maybe paint him as top 10 production uh, from the passing offense, but it's buoyed a lot by like what they're doing offensively, scheming him up deep play action shots, which he's been on fire for this year. And I think um, that's really impressive actually for a backup, but no Pro Bowl honors for him this year. Um, I think I've been very impressed with the way he's played because he's been avoiding the mistakes that have really plagued him in the past. The He usually exchanges uh, interceptions for sacks quite a lot, but the sacks haven't been as frequent or as bad this year. Um, and instead, he's making a ton of explosive plays. And Amari Cooper has been absolutely on fire uh, as a result. Um, and he's been an absolute pro. And next week, you know, Deshaun Watson comes back. And that's that's a whole other can of worms. So uh, good on him for handling the situation. And as for this Bucks defense, I mean, they are at home this week. So I think there's some advantage to that. But um, the Bucks defense has the potential to be very good. Hopefully, uh, Brissett can finish off his his play this year with with a bang, and I hope next year someone actually does give him a starting shot because he's been pretty solid this year. Uh, yeah, I agree that Brissett definitely made the best out of the situation coming into the year. Uh, given the massive trade and massive contract Deshaun Watson was given with all the money guaranteed, 
we knew that as soon as he was eligible to play, Deshaun Watson was going to be playing. And as far as his play goes, yeah, completely justified. He was a top quarterback in the league very early in his career. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on, on him in future pods when he does start playing, but it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from so much time off. Uh, we really have no idea what we're going to see out of him, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. But nonetheless, props to Brissett. He's just another one of those veteran quarterbacks I've talked about a couple of times on this podcast where just veteran quarterbacks who have been sticking around the league so long and keeping their jobs that at this point, they kind of know what they're doing, and they're able to be pretty much average to above average in most weeks, despite not really getting a chance as a franchise guy with any franchise, really. And moving into the next year, I believe there's like nine, ten teams that kind of will have question marks at quarterback moving for quarterback moving forward. And I think the teams that don't end up with guys like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and kind of left with the options of all the journeymen, I think Brissett should definitely be at the top of their lift, list for teams like that this offseason. But yeah, he's definitely done what he could with this job. And moving on from him to Tua Tagovailoa, who's going to be going up against the Texans this week. And honestly, this... The only way to describe this is this is going to be an absolute disaster for the Texans. And the Miami Dolphins offense will just maul them. Not only are they much more prolific, but they just came off a bye. The week prior, two weeks ago, we saw them go up against Brissett and the Browns. And they absolutely torched that team, blew them out. Tua didn't even have to play the full game. And when he was in, he was incredible. And this Texans defense has... Little to no talent. They have absolutely no one that's going to match up with guys like uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, And the way Tua's been playing, as we've said in previous weeks, he's been playing as a borderline, if not a MVP level. And yeah, I think this is just going to be a massacre. There's really not much to say. To put on top of that, this is a, a home game for the Dolphins. So... But the Texans probably projected to be the number one overall pick and the Dolphins trying to be contenders. Yeah, I don't think there's really any other way this can go. Yeah, man. Imagine getting like a full bye week extra to prep for the Texans. That's this is not looking good. This is not looking good at all. Not at Um, all. Not at all. But it should be fun for me to watch when I go back and uh, do my film reviews. Yeah, expect big fantasy days. If you have a Dolphin, start them. Yeah. Lucky for me, I do. Uh, moving on from that uh, massacre game to another game that I expect to be uh, a bit of a massacre, but but it could be a shootout. So there's some intrigue here with the Seahawks and the Raiders. And looking at Geno Smith, um, the Raiders' defense has been the let's say the friendliest to opposing quarterbacks this year. Um, they they are just atrocious in the back end. They don't really generate pressure except for Max Crosby. And they are very easily fooled on play action and RPOs and all, all the they, they don't they don't do anything well. I, I don't I don't know what they do well. Um, so yeah, I expect Geno Smith to launch some nukes off play action this game. Um, looking forward to a great game from him coming off the bye. Um, hopefully the Seahawks can make a playoff push. Honestly, I want to see Geno Smith in the playoff game. Um, so let's look for some more dimes this week from Geno. Well, as a Niners fan, I really hope 
the Seahawks don't make a playoff push because that wouldn't help our chances much. But yeah, Gino has been exciting and he definitely deserves the playoffs. So as a unbiased, as an unbiased perspective, yeah, the Seahawks in the playoffs could be interesting, but the Niners fan in me does not want that to happen. Uh, and moving on to another NFC quarterback who's kind of turned his play as a, up as of late with Aaron Rodgers, as we've talked about the last two weeks against, I believe, was a Thursday night game versus the Titans, and the week before, I believe he put up a great performance versus a team like the Cowboys. Uh, it's two weeks in a row where Rodgers has kind of turned it around, and a lot of it was off the backs of uh, Christian Watson kind of taking the leap into going from an irrelevant receiver to probably his uh, best, most prolific target right now. And uh, going into this week, though, they're going to be at Philadelphia, which uh, definitely is not the ideal matchup at all for them. The Packers have had offensive line struggles and injuries pretty much the entire year, and they're about to go up against uh, maybe not one of the most dominant front sevens, but definitely... Uh, one of the better front sevens in the league this season. Uh, I don't know if Jordan Davis will be back this week, but even without him, that defense has been pretty good, at least against the pass or as pass rushers. So uh, um, I don't think Rodgers is going to have a whole lot of time this week and probably will have a lot of pressure in his face. And we've talked about how Rodgers' supporting cast is famously struggled to get open and build chemistry with him and vice versa. Rogers struggled to build chemistry with his receivers and they're go up, going up against an Eagles secondary that has been very good this year, especially a guy like Darius Sway. So I don't expect that receiver core to really create a whole lot of separation either. However, the last two weeks, the Eagles defense, which was looking very elite for many, many weeks, has uh, shown a little bit of uh, weakness, so to say. A little, a lot more versus the Commanders, for sure. They did have a bit of a bounce-back game versus the Colts. But overall, that defense has shown some sort of weakness. And I think their biggest weakness has definitely been defending the run. So I think the Packers will rely a lot more on Aaron Jones and... A.J. Dillon, a lot more Jones than Dillon, I'd probably assume. So I think the ball will be taken out of Rodgers' hands a lot more than uh, you would see traditionally with uh, a guy of his caliber and just Aaron Rodgers in general. He passes the ball a ton. Uh, But when he does throw the ball, I don't expect it to be pretty. But with his recent upturn in passing, I could see him uh, potentially – uh, come out with a good game, but I wouldn't expect it, especially on the road. Yeah, don't don't underrate uh, an Aaron and Rodgers breed option based game. Uh, you said it was Aaron Jones and uh, AJ Dillon there, but uh, Aaron Rodgers wheels respect them. Uh, anyway, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> to the other side with Jalen, who actually does have wheels. Um, yeah, I mean Packers defense has been pretty strong this year after uh, an early season. Uh, how how to put it, uh, a mismanagement of talent, let's say. Um, and you know, I think that Hertz Hertz has a chance to cement himself as an MVP candidate again uh, after losing that game against the Commanders, which dropped him out. So 
Um, let's see what he can do. I think that it's very possible that he could run all over the Packers defense, which, I mean, hasn't had a great time uh, defending the run. But uh, the bigger thing I want to look is how can they get A.J. Brown against Darnell Savage deep down the field? Um, I think that that will be the source of winning for them. I also think that Quay Walker, uh, as a rookie, can get really easily fooled in the read option in the run game. Um, so those are the main sources of attack for me, uh, in my opinion, for the Eagles against the Packers. So, yeah, I mean, and, and then also, like, they have superior talent pretty much everywhere. And unless the Packers are going to change their defensive scheme overnight, I don't think that Jair Alexander is going to follow A.J. Brown. So A.J. Brown probably will have some advantages against the corners. So, I mean, the the Eagles are favored by six and a half this game. I, I feel like it should be more because of the advantage that they have on offense. So, yeah, I mean, let's see. Uh, I, I'm excited for this one, honestly. Yeah, completely agree there. All right, that will wrap up our reviews and previews for the week. Um, excited for another week of football. Um, yeah, anything you want to say, Polly? Yeah, uh, pretty much the same sentiments. We just had a great day of football on Thanksgiving. Uh, a couple of good games, Lions and Bills. Uh, Giants and Cowboys was pretty good as well. Uh, Patriots and Vikings got a little one-sided at the end, but for a lot of it, it was good too. So I'm hoping it continues into this weekend. As we mentioned, there were quite a few good matchups and we are getting to that point of the year where uh it's starting to get intense for playoff spots and a lot of teams are definitely going to be trying their anything and everything to get wins so I think that'll produce for some good matchups and I think every team's playing this week so that's interesting to see too so yeah yeah you you reminded me uh I forgot to touch on it but Mac Jones for the first time this this year uh, played like a spectacular game against the Vikings. Um, I cut just oh yeah, hundred percent. Quickly, uh, I wanted to touch on it. Um, it's like the first time that the Patriots skill group has had an advantage against an opposing pass defense, and he kind of picked them apart. So maybe some hope there for Mac Jones uh, to resurrect his season. Um, that's really all I had to say. Yeah, I I don't have as much hope as you. I think that was just a product of how poor the Vikings defense played last night. But we'll see. I don't want to roll, rule it out for him. But, yeah, with that being said, that's the end of the podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thank you guys so much. Take care.